Welcome to the Educational Renaissance Podcast, where we promote a rebirth of ancient wisdom for the modern era. We seek to inspire educators by fusing the best of modern research with the insights of the great philosophers of education. Join us in the great conversation and share with a friend or colleague to keep the Renaissance spreading. Hello and welcome to the Educational Renaissance Podcast, where today we will be discussing building culture in the classroom. We've talked before about the importance of culture. The fact of the matter is that there is a lot that is caught in our classrooms in addition to what is taught. Not only what we explicitly teach and say from the front will have a long-term impact on our students, but also um, what they experience, the very atmosphere of relationships is so important and crucial. My name is Jason Barney, and I'm here in the studio with Patrick Egan and Colby Atchison to tackle this important concept head on. I hope if you're a teacher listening, you'll be intrigued to hear about how you can, in fact, set up and cultivate a particular culture in your classroom and the huge impact that that's going to have if you focus on culture and not just the basics of lesson planning or preparing content. It's so much more um, to it than uh, just that. And so we want to make sure that we're in thinking about culture very deliberately. So Patrick, why don't you get us started? I know you've written some blog articles recently on the importance of building culture in a classroom. What what are some big picture categories for you as you think about um, cultivating that successful classroom culture? There's two really important Charlotte Mason ideas. Uh, the first one would be the idea of education is an atmosphere. And oftentimes when we first encounter that idea, we often think of the furniture and the decor of the classroom. And we will bring in beautiful pictures and wooden tables and all of that and care very deeply about those things. But really, as I've read Charlotte Mason and, and tried to understand what is she talking about with this whole atmosphere thing, one way that I've thought about it is the projection of the teacher's persona, authority into that classroom space of recognizing the ways in which the students that are in that classroom contribute to that, the ideals and expectations that we establish, the routines, that we establish are all part of of that atmosphere. So that's one aspect that I think is really important to understand as we think about what is it we are intentionally building here. The other has to do with habit training. That habit training we can think of as really discrete microcosms of what a student is behaving like and what it is they're doing and we could think of we want to have students line up in straight lines or we want them to be kind to their neighbors or we want them to have their focused attention on the task at hand and those are all individual habits but when we group them all together what is it that we are doing as a group in this classroom 
that is instilling a sense of identity as a group, things we're working on together, that's that goes beyond just individual habits we might be training in to the level of a culture we're building. A culture we're building and um, things that mark us as people. People like us do things like this. And so those are a couple of ideas that contribute to this emerging understanding of what what we're doing when we're creating or building a culture. It has to do with intentionality that the teacher is bringing to the task of leading students. And I'll pause there to see if there are any follow-up questions or ideas that that you guys uh, want to respond to that basic framework. Yeah, I find it so interesting that culture itself is a term that is so general and it feels so macro. And yet, in the way you described how to build culture, it really is detailed, focused work. Um, There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and even on the stage, so to speak. Um, Cultures, great cultures, don't happen by accident. Um, They require cultivation, maintenance, feedback, inspiration. And I think those two leading ideas from Charlotte Mason, atmosphere and habits and habit training, I can see how those are two major levers or as she would call them instruments for the sort of culture you're trying to create. So that's a really helpful entry point as I think about culture. And I love that quote, people like us do things like this. I think that comes from Seth Godin and its idea that when you when you join a culture, you are detecting the way people are acting in it. And so if you you first uh, join a running group, for example, for the first time, you are as a social creature taking in the data in real time, how the runners are speaking to each other, what kind of articles of clothing they're wearing, what type of shoe they have on, and all of those little details are contributing to the culture of that running group. You can imagine one running group where you have a negative culture potentially, where there's lots of complaining, where half the runners are showing up late, where the shoe wear is raggedy, where there's lots of giving up mid-exercise, right? Well, that kind of culture is very different than, say, the culture of a running group where everyone showed up a few minutes early and they have their water bottles and they're comparing footwear, not from a materialistic sense, but from a a desire to perform at their very best. There's encouragement going on in the group while they're running. There's even some slowing down at times, perhaps, to help the straggler in the back, right? That's a very different culture. And that culture of excellence, we might call it, didn't happen by accident. Most likely, there's a leader or group of leaders who have cultivated that culture and have worked behind the scenes to to build it. So those, those are some of my thoughts on the topic. And now for a message from our sponsor. Sign up for the Educational Renaissance Newsletter. 
Stay connected to the EdRen community to deepen your understanding of education and hone your craft as a teacher. The Educational Renaissance newsletter comes out every Saturday morning, sharing each new blog post. Subscribers also get advance notice on special offers. We promise not to fill up your email with endless advertisements. Become part of the Educational Renaissance community. Subscribe today at educationalrenaissance.com. Colby, I love how those examples have taken a very amorphous concept and brought it down into the important specifics, as you guys have been saying. And I think what it um, tells us as educators is that we should perhaps first and foremost be observers of the culture that is. And so getting a little snapshot and looking at all the details and trying to piece it together, it strikes me that a, a culture is shown by its artifacts. And so if we think about the great cultures of the world, for instance, then we think of very specific artifacts, things like paintings and movies and the food that people eat and customs. And so in the same way, we as teachers should look at the classroom culture and take uh, maybe even stock every once in a while of what are we seeing? What is being said or done? How are students reacting to different uh, situations? What's being said? And what about that culture doesn't quite feel right? And what about that culture does uh, reflect uh, our hopes and goals? And so stopping to observe and becoming observant people, I think this is a, a great thing for leaders to do as well, to maybe even do a walkthrough or a day if you're an administrator of a school where you just go to all the different parts of the school and simply take notes and you're piecing together through various artifacts and snapshots what the culture is. because. Uh, part of the reality of culture is that we um, we live in it and it's kind of the unseen air that we breathe so often. So you almost have to intentionally get yourself out of it and put yourself in an observer frame of reference even to notice it. Our, our kind of default mode as human beings is to go along with the group culture that is around us to to accept the furniture of the room and do what it tells us to do rather to, than to think creatively about how we might rearrange the furniture, right? That uh, t takes a different sort of kind of visionary intentionality. And that's really what we're asking ourselves to do when we ask ourselves to influence culture in some way. And it's also important to note that we don't have simple levers to control culture. And that's why I think we use terms like to cultivate or influence because we know that I can't just change the culture into what I want it to be. Uh, as much as I might wish that, I don't have the perfectly easy solution to make, for instance, kids feel a certain way about a particular book that we're reading. Can't do it. Can I do some things that might help or influence the future? Yes, but I don't have ultimate control because of course uh, other human beings are involved. So I think your two kind of points, uh, Patrick, about habits and atmosphere um, are great for bringing culture down to earth in some very practical ways. Do you have 
some specific can I, I would say uh, encouragement in each of those areas mm. so I'll take us to Daniel Coyle's book the culture code and there's a really important chapter in there called the good apples and there was an experiment I I, I can't remember right now um, what school was putting on this experiment but the idea was let's put teams together they've got a project they need to do and we're going to put into this group a bad apple and I think in this experiment Jonathan was the name of the bad apple guy and he was basically through words he would say you know his attitude just trying to sabotage that group and he was really six i this is if i were part of an experiment this is the one i would want to be a part of he sounds like a bad apple he sounds like a bad apple and that he enjoyed every moment yeah of i think being he would either apple. be like the the kind of like lazy and depressive like puts his head down in the middle of a meeting and everybody else would just kind of think this meeting didn't care as much and you know right. or gainsay what people or, are saying yeah he would yeah. be super negative about particular yeah. things but he had a few different ways in the experiment right. of just like you know throwing things into confusion and um, being a negative influence right so then one of the things that happened is there was uh, one time running the experiment this this guy came in and he was a good apple so even the negative uh, bad apple, every time he gainsaid something, the good apple was like, hey, that's a great perspective, but what if we tried this? And he would just totally redirect that energy towards accomplishment of whatever the goal was for the group task. And as I read this, I thought, wow, that, that would be fantastic if a classroom got a good apple. But it felt to me when I first read it like it's just a matter of chance and we're just hoping for those good apples to enroll in our school. And and then my focus shifted and I said, if we've got the good apples in every classroom if the teacher views themselves as the good apple, as the person who redirects that energy and says, Oh, I've got a complaint over here about this book, or I've got some whinging over here. Why do we have to write? Or, you know, narration is so hard. Yeah, but I'm the good apple who says, oh, I, I hear what you're saying, but let's try. Let's build something together. And if the teacher views themselves as the good apple, building a team, directing the traffic towards this higher ground that we're all aiming towards well we've got exactly what they're talking about in terms of building culture and so through through these experiments uh, Daniel Coyle was able to summarize certain things that good groups have good teams have and he defined them in terms of safety and connection so that good apple enables the group to have a safe space to share perspectives even criticisms and that those are respected and accepted and made to be productive towards the group's ends but also highly connected so we're going to voice things and we're going to connect with one another and we're going to work together to build something special so that safety and that connection 
are part of what he describes as the goals for building a, a good and healthy culture. And he describes things like good cultures, they wind up in circles with one another, or they they wind up with good eye contact with one another, or they have short staccato-like comments in their discussions with one another. And I thought, this is exactly what a teacher can plan for. So just like teachers will want to spend time lesson planning their content, there's that level of lesson planning. Well, what are the phrases I'm going to use to describe what we're going to do? Or how do I circle up our, our group into a huddle to solve a problem? Or how do I get eye contact going or discussion going in short phrases? Like all of these are doable if a teacher plans and implements effectively. And now for a message from our sponsor. Rethink your why. As educators interested in renewing education for a new generation, Jason Barney's new book, Rethinking the Purpose of Education, helps you rethink learning objectives around moral, spiritual, and intellectual virtues. Get your copy of Rethinking the Purpose of Education by Jason Barney, available now through our website or at Amazon.com. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, right now I have the privilege of being a soccer coach for a Pee Wee soccer team, uh, ages four to six. As you can imagine, there are a range of emotions on the team. Uh, we're the fire, go fire, shout out fire. And, um, and one thing I noticed is that as the coach of this team, I have to absorb a lot of the negative emotions. <laughs> and so when, when our team is on, we're really on. We're encouraging, we're excited. But you know, when the weather's hot or it's you know coming up on the end of practice, sometimes some bickering comes up, sometimes some unkindness, some cutting corners, not following the coach's instructions. And in order to protect the culture of the team, I have to be really careful about, on the one hand, not coming down hard on a player for making a poor choice, um, but on the other hand, not permitting it in a way that will actually change the culture for the worse. There's this, uh, there's this approach I've had to take as a coach, it sounds similar to this good apple idea where I, I I not only de-escalate, but I almost um, what would be the what would be the word here? Almost disempower the negative decision that the player made and make it in a, a a way for for growth and goodness to occur. You know, encouraging comments, hey, it's okay, or hey, finish strong, you can do it. You know, that sort of positivity it keeps us all going the direction we want for the positive culture that we're we're going for. So that's just another practical example for how to build culture uh, this time in Pee Wee Soccer Land. Mm, yeah, and there are so many ways to capitalize on the aspirations and vision that the child has. So they're in a negative space; it's not working well, and I can. Ask them, how would a professional respond to this situation? Could you be like that? That's what we're trying to be here. Um, or, you know, in a classroom setting, um, you know, 
we need to wear the right shoes, right uniform shoes here. That's something we're we're working towards as a class. Could I could I ask you to make sure you're wearing the right shoes? And and that's going to be part of our hallmark when people watch us walking around the school. They're going to look at our class as the class that's wearing the right shoes. So it's like you get this inspiration, but it, there's also specificity about what it is we're trying to accomplish. And as we accomplish it, we celebrate those accomplishments and we walk with pride about the things that are the cultural values that we're establishing. We've been talking a lot about the importance of the classroom culture and how the teacher can be that good apple who um, who works against any bad apples and you know actively sets a positive tone. It strikes me that it's important for us all to think about the culture of a school as a whole, not just any one classroom, and the impact that the school culture inevitably has on the individual classroom cultures. And so that macro group dynamic is really important. And I think we all as teachers, um, as leaders, have a role to play in a great school culture. So if you're a teacher listening to this, think about how your group interactions with your fellow teachers can, um, in one sense, either be a great good apple experience or could potentially be a bad apple negative experience. And I think in particular of when you know there are faculty training opportunities when there are meetings going on when there are hard decisions being made and communicated what role are you playing in the group i think we all need to take stock of that ourselves and know that if we as individual teachers and leaders are in some ways sowing negative seeds into that faculty and staff culture of the school, we shouldn't be surprised if there's some negative fruit also coming in the student culture. And so I've heard it said from a few different sources that the student culture will follow the faculty culture in key ways. And you might say won't probably rise above the level of the faculty culture. If you're a school leader hearing this and thinking about this, I think you need to really take stock of what you are doing in terms of the leadership of your school to lead, set the tone, cultivate, engage a positive faculty culture that um, you know, ultimately is it has the savor of Christ and the gospel about it and um, is focused on growth and is healthy. Um, we we want to have a healthy and growth focused faculty culture. And without that, we're going to be at a loss to be able to create any sort of student culture that's ultimately enduring in a positive sense. I mean, imagine what it would look like as an administrator to view themselves as a good apple. If we want to be a school that loves learning, and yet my faculty meetings are never a place where we get to enjoy learning together, well, as an administrator, I need to start planning and implementing a way for us to love learning together as a faculty. So becoming that good apple and establishing a culture 
means certain really practical, tactical things that I can apply to say, you know what, I know we've got some, you know, things that we need to implement and how we do what we do, safety drills or whatever, but we're also going to read together some great books, discuss, learn, and and set a culture for our school where there's a love of learning at that faculty level so that we get the, what would we call that, trickle-down economics of the students loving to learn. Um, and I think you, that's a brilliant insight that you bring. So, uh, you know, think about those teachers that you had along the way where you were like, I can't wait to get to Mrs. Smith's classroom because of whatever it is they that she was doing, you know, that created that anticipation of just going to her class. Uh, I, I think those are uh, really helpful paradigms to think through. So we've had colleagues, uh, I think of, of one colleague where the boys in his class learned style because the teacher cared about style and he would call them up, you know, oh, you tie your, your necktie in this way and you wear it with pride and you just see how students became really marked by that teacher's emphasis on caring for your personal style. We have another colleague that um, really promoted acting and embodying a Shakespeare character and you just see how that contributes to a rhetorical program where our students become very comfortable in front of an audience embodying a character contributes to the rhetoric program and these are all intentional steps that these teachers took to take something of their personality put it into the classroom and uh, these students become marked by that experience I think it's important to note here as well that creating a positive culture doesn't mean trying to please everybody, mm. um, whether in your classroom or in the school as a whole. So it's not about a culture of ease. And of course, you can have different cultures that are positive in different ways. You can't be everything. <laughs> There's no all-encompassing culture that has everything great about it. There are specific group cultures that serve specific purposes really well. And that's one thing, too, that I think you can take away from Daniel Coyle's book, The Culture Code, which I would highly recommend as a great modern read on this perennial topic, this really important um, vision of team dynamics and how um, you know it's not just about the individual and a, a culture of excellence creates things um, there's so much more that we can do together rather than just thinking in terms of individuals and so how important that is for education I, I can't overstate I think of the classical idea of a paideia or enculturation from the Greeks and Romans and when you see these pockets of great education happening throughout the classical tradition in many ways it's because of a particular culture that was uniquely um, able to to bring about things like the Italian Renaissance for instance and so many other um, times and places where where again a unique culture 
makes uh, different um, people able to do incredible things um, from within that culture. So, you know, most of what we do uh, as educators really fits so importantly under this broader category of cultivating culture. And now for a message from our sponsor. Are you ready to take your classroom or school to the next level? Here at Educational Renaissance, we want to equip you with skills and practices that will help you achieve your goals as educators. Join us for our next live webinar and take a deep dive into the topics you've learned about through our blog posts, podcasts, books, and videos. Learn practical skills and get your questions answered to level up your classroom or school. Simply sign up for our next live webinar on our webinar page at educationalrenaissance.com. Learn more about upcoming webinars or find other downloadable content. If you believe teaching is a craft, then join us for our next webinar where you can be apprenticed to gain valuable skills and practices. Sign up at educationalrenaissance.com. Well, just thinking about the COIL book, you know, I, I've always been struck by the, the three key characteristics of these groups he's talking about, I believe, are belonging, vulnerability, and purpose. And specifically, what he did was he studied what he would call high-performing groups. And so I think there, you know, there are different types of groups out there not all of them are high performing and that's fine because that's not the purpose of those groups um, you know you can just think about a, a group that gets together on Thursday nights to I don't know share poetry together right where there isn't this like high achieving performance focus of that group but there's still a culture to it and it probably does include these traits of belonging and, and, and so forth. But specifically what Coyle's looking at are high performing teams and analyzing those. And so as we as class, classical Christian educators are trying to translate that language into the classroom, you know, what is what does performance look like given our philosophical commitments? Well, we're talking about student growth. We're talking about each student giving their very best, uh, reaching their full potential, um, seeking to grow more and more uh, as servants of the Lord as, a, as opposed to promoters of self. Um, and of course, that will these, these sorts of things that we're going for will lead to some great outcomes, will lead to exceptional results. Uh, but I, I think it's just important for us as educators to to be tethered to our core values, even as we are focused on helping our students reach for their very best. And the, the way we do that, at least according to Dan Coyle, is through culture and specifically cultivating cultures of belonging, vulnerability and purpose. One other resource that I think is really helpful is to look at Teach Like a Champion 2.0. And Doug Lamov has come out with a 3.0. Uh, Colby recently reviewed that on uh, the blog. But there's a value in the 2.0 still. He has these introductions, and the last of the five sections has to do with classroom culture. And he has very specific techniques that teachers can apply in the classroom that help them build culture. And some of those may have to do with 
you know, using a good teacher voice or having this calm finesse in the classroom, designing very specific processes in your uh, how you hand out papers or where you stand at the beginning of the class that are well worth looking into. And, and we won't necessarily go into any one technique now, but I think if you have that on your shelf, it's very well worth looking at those techniques. And I would say as a good apple in your classroom, as a teacher leader, try practicing one, you know, set yourself a goal of saying this week, I'm going to work on my teacher voice to establish authority, but also this calm finesse with my students. Well, thank you for joining us today on the Educational Renaissance Podcast. In today's episode, we discussed all about cultivating a great classroom culture, drawing from Daniel Coyle's um, The Culture Code, as well as some general resources from Charlotte Mason on atmosphere and the importance of habits and uh, really getting down into the nitty gritty of, of how culture and and uh, our role in contributing to group culture can um, take our classrooms and schools to the next level. Be sure to subscribe to catch all of our new episodes. Uh, leave a comment, give us a five-star rating. We really wanna reach as many people as we can in this movement to inspire that rebirth of educational wisdom for the modern era. So um, also come to our website to check out new books and webinars that are coming. Subscribe to our newsletter and make sure that you're getting up-to-date info on what's coming out new. Um, of course, if you haven't yet bought my book, Rethinking the Purpose of Education, you'll want to go to the website and follow the links to do that so that you can make sure your near-term objectives for your students in the classroom fit with your broader vision of education as a classical educator. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.